We have two texts that we will be looking at this morning. We are continuing in our series through the Apostles' Creed, the fundamentals of the faith, what we believe. And this morning we're going to look at Jesus Christ. So we'll be in Colossians chapter 1 and in Romans chapter 1. So if you would please turn first to Colossians chapter 1, we will pick up in verse 15. And if you would give attention to the reading and hearing of God's Word, the Word of the Lord is completely without error. The Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And now turning to Romans chapter 1, the first four verses. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we ask this morning that you would bring us ever closer to Jesus. Lord, we long to see him. We long to love him more. We long to know him and be moved by him. This we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have been going through the subject matter of the Apostles' Creed these past few weeks and will be for a few weeks to come. A sermon series entitled, What We Believe. Because what we're looking at are the foundational beliefs of Christians. If you are going to say you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what you believe. If you're not really sure who Jesus is and what would be required of you if you followed him, this is a good summary of what will be required. It is found in what is called the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed covers the main basics 
of the Christian faith. Last week, we looked at God the Father. The week before that, we looked at the Scriptures themselves. And today, we turn to Jesus Christ. Now, it shouldn't surprise you that the bulk of the creed itself describes who Jesus is and what He has done. Fully 60% of the creed is describing Jesus and His work. But this is needed more than ever by our society and by the church today. You may recall that we have been also looking at a survey that was done by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research of the populace at large and also evangelicals. And they gave them a series of statements and asked them to state whether they agreed or disagreed with the statement. And so a statement was given, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And 63% of evangelicals agreed. That is, 63% of so-called evangelicals are either confused or believe that Jesus is like angels, people, trees, and rocks. Something God has created. Now you can dress it up. You can put lipstick on the pig by saying he's the greatest and bestest creation. But as soon as you say that Jesus is created, you fundamentally deny who the Bible says he is. And so this morning we're going to look at three main things that the Bible tells us about Jesus. First and foremost, that Jesus is fully God. He is God himself. Second, that Jesus is the Lord of his church. He is the Lord over the redeemed people of God. And third, that Jesus is the resurrected Lord. That the resurrection makes a difference. It makes a difference in cosmic history and it makes a difference in our lives today. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is the Lord of His church. And Jesus is the resurrected Lord. Let's begin then by looking at Jesus as fully God. This is the Bible's statement and belief that is in direct contradiction to the statement of agreement by a majority of evangelicals. All of the universe, all of reality, can be divided into two categories. Creator and creation. They are distinct And only God is the creator. And what we think of Jesus, in which one of these two categories we place him, tells us whether we agree with the scriptures and actually tells us whether we have hope for the forgiveness of sins. Paul was very clear about this in his letter to the Colossians. Now, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. This morning highlights the difficulty with a topical sermon. Because while I have a text that we are going to look at, I could have picked any one of a dozen texts to use for this. We could be in Colossians 1. We could have gone to John 1. We could have gone to Hebrews 1. We could have gone to the book of Genesis. We could have gone throughout the Gospels. 
We could have gone to 1 Corinthians. There are so many places in which the Bible declares with full-throated praise that Jesus is God, that it cannot be missed. But for now, let's spend our time just with Colossians, where Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what does the image of God mean? What does it mean to say that Jesus is the image of God? That Jesus is the representation of God. He is the very image of God. Not just an image. He is the image of God. Now an image is something that represents something else. So that you can understand about it. So that you can see it. And get the impression that you know it. And gain knowledge from it. For example, I dare say that not many of us have been to Paris to see the Eiffel Tower. Some of us, but not all. But probably each and every one of us has seen an image or a representation of the Eiffel Tower. And that image is so burned in our mind that if we were to go to Paris, we would know exactly what to look for. No one could take us to another place They couldn't take us to the Arc de Triomphe and say, there's the Eiffel Tower. We would say, no, that's not it. It's tall, and it's it's metal, and it's it's black, and it kind of goes up toward the sky. We know exactly what to expect because we have that image in our mind. Another example might be the Statue of Liberty. We all have seen pictures of that and know what that looks like. And even so much so that we know what it stands for. To just look at the representation of the statue gives us a feeling of liberty and freedom and hope. You see, Jesus shows us God. He shows us who God is. Because He is the very image of God. Do you ever wonder why, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't need idols all throughout the church and in our homes? That we don't need images of God, bulls or calves or birds? It's because we have Jesus. Jesus is the image that we have been given. Jesus is the representation of who God is because Jesus is God himself. How do we know the authority of God? We find out by looking to Jesus. We see what he does. We see what he says. All throughout the Gospels, you have him speak and people say things like, no man ever spoke like this. He does things and people say, no man ever did things like this. You see him relate to people and they say, no man ever loved like this. And they're right. Because Jesus is God. No one is like Jesus. No one speaks like Him. No one acts like Him. No one has His authority. Jesus is the one who brings God within our sphere of understanding. We understand who God is, what God loves, what God does by looking to Jesus. And this passage gives us a cosmic view of the authority of God through Jesus. It's interesting, we just 
had the inauguration of a new president. And I know that you, like me, did not need to turn in all of your money on Saturday to get new money, did you? No, because when our leaders change hands, we don't change our bills and who are on our money. This was very different in Roman days. Whenever a new emperor took over, the very first thing they did was to mint new coins. They would collect the old coins and they would mint new coins as money. Do you know why they did that? Because they wanted to put the image of the new emperor on the coin. So that if you lived thousands of miles away, as you went to buy bread and put your hand in your pocket, you could not help but be confronted with the fact that the emperor was in charge. He was on your money. You could see his image. You could see his representation everywhere you went. On money, in statues, on paintings. Everywhere you went was designed to remind you of the authority of the emperor. What Paul is telling us is that that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus reminds us of the authority and the power of God because he represents God to us. We can understand who God is through Jesus. John puts it this way in chapter 1 of his gospel. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Because you see, God is present everywhere that Jesus is. Because Jesus is God. There is no way around it. There's a wonderful story in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, where the disciple Philip comes to Jesus, and Philip desires to know more about God. And he says, you can almost picture him pleading, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. And the response of Jesus is very instructive for us today. I almost imagine, in my sanctified imagination, Jesus doing a double take with Philip. Because he looks at him and he says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't know me? Now, remember the question that was asked. Can you show us the Father? And Jesus says, have you been with me so long that you don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You can't look at that text and say, Jesus is just a good teacher. That Jesus is a prophet among prophets. That Jesus is like everyone else, like you and me. That Jesus is an angel. You have to look at that text and say that Jesus is God incarnate. There is no way around it. And there is a reason for this. Because in Jesus, God makes manifest who He is and what He does. The love of God is made manifest in Jesus. John puts it this way in his first letter. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Young people, made manifest means it's clear. John says, this is how we clearly know God loves. He sent his only son into the world. The fact that we can see Jesus tells us that God loves. It is a tangible representation 
of the love of God. Because you see, God is invisible, Paul tells us, but Jesus is not. And this is important for us because Jesus makes God visible to us. Jesus is the eternal image of God. You see, if Jesus is the perfect representation and image of God, and if God is eternal, then Jesus must be eternal as well. Or he would not represent God accurately. Hebrews 1 puts it this way, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Think about that for a moment. Have you ever described something, or better yet, have you ever drawn a picture of something and someone looks at you and says, is that a duck? Or like a cow? Or a tree? No, 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 that's the Empire State Building. Okay. It sort of looks like that, I guess. Jesus is not sort of like God, I guess. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. To see Jesus is to see God. Jesus is also the creator of all things. And there is no exception to what he has created. And Paul lays great emphasis upon this. He says that Jesus is the creator of all things on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Visible or invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Anything that you can think of, Jesus has created. He's using very inclusive language. It's the way we might say from A to Z. Or from soup to nuts. You see, there's nothing in between that Jesus didn't create. Just like we said before, there are only two categories to reality. There is the creator and the creation. And Jesus has created everything. And if Jesus has created everything, then how could Jesus be created? He can't. He can only be the creator. He can only be God. All things, Paul tells us, are created by Him. Now this prepositional phrase, by Him, has reference to Jesus. We might also translate it, all things are created in Him. This is drawing on an image that we see throughout the Bible. That Jesus is the cornerstone of all creation and reality. Everything depends on Him. He is the foundation. We might even put it this way. We might say that creation was Jesus' idea. Then Paul uses another prepositional phrase. He says all things were created through Him. Not only by Him, but through Him. Here he is stressing the power and the ability of Jesus to create. He has all power. John describes it in another way. And John also tries to include everything possible, so much so that the grammar is hard to understand and read. All things were made through him. Okay. And without him was not anything made that was made. He made everything. And there was nothing made that was made that wasn't made by Jesus. Don't try to come up with anything. He's made all things. And only God is this powerful. 
Now, why is this important for us today in 2017? Is this how you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus as powerful, as the creator of the universe? If you do, then that will give you hope. Because there's nothing that Jesus can't handle. There's no problem, no difficulty, no struggle, no strife that Jesus is not more powerful than. Because He is the creator of all things. Paul uses a third prepositional phrase that all things were also created for Him in verse 16. Now this tells us that Jesus is not only the creator of all things, He is the goal of creation. All of creation is created for Him. All of creation is for the glory of Jesus. Now if that is true, how could Jesus be a part of creation? Paul has just told us all of creation sings His praises. All of creation is for His glory. The last thing that Jesus is described as He is the creator that all of creation is dependent upon Him. We see this in verse 17. In Him all things hold together. Now it's not just that Jesus was given the job of creation. He maintains it continually. He is God. He doesn't forget. He doesn't grow weary. He keeps all things in existence by the word of His power. You breathe now because of Jesus. You hear that rumbling that you're not sure is going to take the roof of our sanctuary off? It's held on by Jesus. He controls the wind. He controls the roof. He controls all things because He is God Himself, the Creator of the universe. The only reason that we have what we call a cosmos and that all of life is not complete chaos is because of Jesus. The reason the piano doesn't float is because Jesus maintains gravity. Jesus maintains the seasons. Jesus maintains all of creation. But Jesus is not just God. He is also the Lord of His church, the Bible teaches us. Jesus is not just God, He is also man. He is fully man, and He became a man to purchase for Himself a church. Now this is where part of the problem comes from us understanding who Jesus is. You see, I think we become more aware that Jesus is a man... Because we think about Christmas and we think about the baby Jesus and we read in the stories of the Gospels of Him eating and going around. And it's almost impossible for us to understand how one person could be both man and God. We think we need to pick. But we don't. Because the scripture tells us that Jesus is God and He also is man. He is, as John says, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Now, this is a great mystery. If you're saying to yourself, Pastor, I don't understand how one person could be God and man, I would say to you, join the club. Because Paul tells us it's a mystery. We don't know of anyone else, any other person in all of the existence of reality who is both fully God and fully man. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness that Jesus was manifested in the flesh. And this is where, as we think about our faith, we must go to the Bible. And if the Scriptures teach us that Jesus is God and that Jesus is man, even if we cannot fully comprehend how that is so, we must believe the Scriptures. They are true. Our reality, our perceptions change. You know that science changes its mind all the time? There was a time in which scientists were absolutely convinced the world was round until they were convinced it was flat. And then they were convinced it was round again. They were absolutely convinced that the earth was at the center of the universe until they became convinced that the sun was at the center of the universe. Until they became convinced that the sun and the earth were just a part of the universe. You see, we are fallible human beings and we can never come to a complete understanding of everything. And so we must be willing to submit to the scriptures when the scriptures teach us about reality. Jesus became man for a purpose. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that he was descended from David. He was descended from David that he might redeem for himself a people, that he might fulfill the gospel. All of this was necessary. Unless Jesus was God, he would not be able to pay the penalty for sin. Unless Jesus is God is man, he would not be able to shed his blood to redeem a people. He did all of this to be the Lord of his people, the church, the redeemed. And Jesus is also preeminent. He is first among all. He is preeminent in his person. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1. He says that he is the firstborn of all creation. Now we see born and immediately we start thinking of people and we're confused again. But do you understand that in this passage everything else is being referred to as being created. Only Jesus is referred to as born. You see, firstborn here means that Jesus has the priority over everything in existence. The psalmist writes of this in Psalm 89. When the Lord is speaking of David, he says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, God is not saying that David was the first person born ever. We know that's not true from the Bible. We know his father's name. We know his grandfather's name. What the psalmist means and what God is saying is that David is the first and highest king. He has the greatest priority and glory among all of the kings. And so when Paul uses this language of firstborn, he's actually distancing Jesus from creation. He's saying he is preeminent because of who he is. 
but Jesus is also preeminent in his actions. Jesus is the only one who could solve the conundrum of sin. Only Jesus could pay the infinite penalty. Only Jesus could pour out his love on undeserving sinners. What Jesus does shows that he is preeminent. Jesus is preeminent in how he transforms us. He has redeemed a people from ashes. Do you ever wonder why Jesus didn't just start over from scratch? But instead, he paid the penalty for sin to redeem for himself a broken people. People who were marred with sin and hurt and falsehood. Only Jesus could do this. God has made the invisible visible for you and for your salvation. Thirdly, Jesus is the resurrected Lord. The resurrection actually declares who Jesus is. Jesus is the prophet of God. Paul speaks in Romans 1 about the prophets who promised beforehand that Jesus would come. And there were many prophets. Some we read of in the scriptures, some have books named after them in the Bible. But Jesus is not just a prophet, Jesus is the prophet. He has declared who God is. He has declared the plan of God for his people. And only Jesus can do this fully and perfectly because he is indeed God. No one is better equipped to speak for God than Jesus. Anytime someone tells you, you need to listen to Joseph Smith to understand or get clarified what Jesus said. Run away. Anytime someone tells you, we didn't really figure out for 1900 years after Jesus lived what Jesus really meant. Run away. Because you have Jesus and what he has said and what he has declared. Because you see, Jesus is more than a prophet. None of the prophets accomplished the work of reconciliation. Jesus did. Jesus told us that he was God himself come to earth. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Pulling to himself the very name of God from Exodus. He said, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, this is a bold claim from Jesus. But you may say to me, Pastor, others have made bold claims, claim to be a God. There are even some today who claim to be a God. What's the difference? The difference is what Paul tells us in Romans 1. The difference is only Jesus had the power over death. Only Jesus rose from the grave. Only Jesus came back to life. And he was declared, Paul says, to be the Son of God with power because of the resurrection. 
It is in the resurrection that we see that he was more than a man, that he was God himself, that death could not hold him. Jesus is the resurrected Lord. And his resurrection accomplishes the mission that he came for. The resurrection not only tells us about who he is, it tells us about what he has done. Jesus promised to put away sin forever. He promised to fulfill the ancient prophecies, to put down the enemy, to defeat the evil one, to bring life and hope and truth. And all of that came true and was shown to be true in his resurrection. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And he defeated the enemy. We don't need to wonder about it anymore. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, his resurrection put the exclamation point on it. It said that what he said was true. The proof of his work is found in the resurrection. It's like the Bible says. Death is swallowed up in victory. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is exactly who the Bible says he is. He is God himself. He is the Lord of his church. And he is the resurrected Lord. And Jesus is exactly who the Bible says he is because we need him to be so in order for us to be right with God. In order for us to be saved from sin, we need the Jesus of the Bible. Will you believe in that Jesus with me today? Will you believe that he is God himself, come to earth, become a man who lived a perfect life and died the death that we deserve, that everyone who believes upon him and who confesses his name would know the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting? This is the Jesus we profess. Any other Jesus is false and is hopeless. He provides no hope. For the world. The resurrected God-man brings us hope. We can live tomorrow because He lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask this morning that You would make us more and more aware of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we would praise Him. That we would seek Him out. That we would long to be with Him. For He alone is worthy of praise. Lord, help us to put aside all of the fascinations of the world and to trust in Your Word. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.